more with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you're having trouble deciding between just one more cupcake and just one more kettlebell swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And Daphne is not here this week because I am talking to a special guest who I will introduce momentarily. Uh, before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. I am so happy to talk about something that I know affects a lot of our listeners, but we've never talked about on the show before, uh, and that is headaches. So I'd like to welcome Jan Mundo. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joanna. <laughs> um, so to get started, can you just tell us, um, you know, in the uh, short version, who you are and what you do? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, I'm a, what's called a somatic coach and body worker, so I work with the whole person. And in the headache realm, I'm, um, I guess you could say a headache healer or a mind-body practitioner who specializes in headaches and migraines. Uh, well, that is uh, fascinating. Um, and you have a book coming out, which is sort of what inspired uh, this to have you on the show, and the book is called The Headache Healer's Handbook, and I believe by the time this episode comes out, the book will be available on major places people buy books. Uh, so if, as we're listening, uh, listeners, if you're interested in reading more of Jan's work, um, you can check out the book, and I'll have links on all of our website and social media and all of those things. Um, but uh, as you describe what it is that you do, I, and I happen to know because I looked at your bio ahead of time that you have certifications and training from all sorts of different parts of your work. Can you talk a little bit about um, that, you know, what your sort of bio says about training and certification? Or this might be easier to do in the context of how did you get to be what you're doing now? Because what you just described as what you do isn't something that most people see on like the majors list when they go to college or something like that. Oh, so how right. did you get to be doing what you do? Right. So in 1970, I learned that I could put my hands on somebody's head, including my own, and stop a headache or migraine. And I did that by feeling the sensations or pulsations of their pain. Um, I did that basically for fun for about 21 years. And um, at the time, I was living in a spiritual community called The Farm. It's a it was a pioneering, quote-unquote, commune. And um, so some of the things that actually went into my program later on were influenced by my time on the farm. So we had natural childbirth. We were pioneers in that. We ate a vegan diet. Um, we grew and um, pres preserved and prepared all our own food. So we were really having eating, really had a healthy lifestyle. Um, we lived in the country, so we didn't have the pressures of a fast city life, and we were dedicated to making the world a better place. So that all influenced me. So I would say that was part of my early training, and I lived there for 15 years. Um, then um, I was, after I left, I actually, this also went into influencing my program and my work. I was in early perimenopause, and that actually is typically a time when um, women do get more affected because their hormones uh, become, um, there, there are more swings in their hormones and they're more unpredictable as far as their monthly cycles. So I was going through that and I was trying to find out what the heck was going on when I was waking up in puddles of perspiration and um, had it, it started getting a lot of migraines. And so I did a lot of reading on mind-body health and on the mind-body connection. And that also influenced me. And then I... Um, after, actually, I became, uh, learned how to work with headaches and migraines back in 1970, I actually had become a headache magnet. So wherever I went, people seemed to exclaim, without knowing that I could help them, uh, they would exclaim in front of me that they had a headache or migraine. 
and basically they had to go lie down or they had to leave the party or they were in so much pain or they felt really sick and so I was really curious each time to see if my makeshift method would work so I'd volunteer to help them if they had five minutes and say well you know I can help you um, just give me five minutes and so each time I was able to stop their pain and they would be amazed and so would I actually so that all went into my work and then um, I decided to dedicate myself to doing this as a career and I became a certified massage therapist and then um, my path took a different fork because when I had people on my massage table their emotions seemed to come up and their emotional history and sometimes it was a history of trauma sometimes it was what they were dealing with now so I then trained as a somatic coach and got certification in that and also as a body-centered therapist so um, I trained for about 15 years and all along I was doing my work I got my first clients from UCLA a neurologist there and um, then started teaching at medical centers great um, normally I would ask this question as what kinds of uh, issues are clients dealing with when they come to you and in this case sort of the broad ans the broad answer to that question is headaches but what I guess what I really mean is why are these headaches so um, upsetting to people so distracting from their lives why is it such because I think to those of us who don't get migraines it's like well you know I get a headache and I take some ibuprofen and I'm fine and it doesn't you know mess with my life um, but for people who seek you out what are the headaches do you know how are they affecting their lives right well a headache is not just in your head mm -hmm. so there are tension type headaches and actually most those are the most prevalent but they're the least studied because they're not, they can be debilitating, but they're not as debilitating as migraine. Um, so back to tension headache, that's kind of like you have a tight hat band around your head. There's a tightness and tension in your head, your scalp, your face, your neck. So there's that tightness. Now with a migraine, uh, migraine people like to say, um, it's not just a headache. So, because it's not just in your head, it's a whole body phenomenon. So all these things can happen. You can get symptoms beforehand, and some of them can be very alarming. Uh, some are called aura, which are uh, sense disturbances, mostly visual, so people can see zigzaggy lines. Part of their vision can be um, blotted out. Um, they can um, see spots, all sorts of things that can be alarming where they might think that they're having a stroke or some other um, secondary, you know, a, a, another cause besides a, a migraine. Um, they can feel nauseated. They, a lot of times the, they, there's vomiting. Um, they feel, um, uh, you can have disturbances in your, um, also your vision, but also your smell. Mm. Um, odors will seem really strong and this can happen um, there, there's another um, phase before you get a migraine called premonitory phase or it used to be called prodrome which is that it um, happens can happen from a couple of uh, days to um, right before your migraine and so you might have sen these sense disturbances. Sounds will sound even louder. Um, people can feel very sensitive to the touch, especially around their head. Um, what else? Tastes will seem different. There, you know, some people will get yawning. Some people really feel very tired. There could be mood disturbances, and then just you get very disoriented. You any slight movement can make you feel worse. So that's why with migraine people, they tend to, or as they're called, there's a term called migraineurs, or a migraineur, um, they will want to go lie down in a dark room so that they don't have 
it's like sensory deprivation so they don't have anything disturbing them so dark room cool cloth on their forehead shut all the blinds and that's how my mom was Mm -hmm. Um, she had them and I got them when I was older but um, so I got them around um, when I was around 40 Um, and I had them periodically before that but so I also got lots of opportunity to work on my own migraines which got me very familiar with them but it sounds like it can really mess with your work, mess with your family and relationships, um, affect your ability to, you know, go out and be social, um, that, you know, for people who suffer from migraines and, and chronic headaches, that it's, it's not just inconvenient, it can really um, keep you from doing the things that you want to be able to do, which um, I assume would also then affect you emotionally, just to feel like um, you couldn't have the, the freedom that you wanted to do because this thing might happen to you at any time. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, I mean, just the slightest movement can make people feel really sick. And, you know, so it's this pulsing, pounding in their head, or it's the nausea, or the sense disturbances. So, uh, like, just really the slightest movement, I mean, just even turning your head, or turning from, if you're lying down, trying to even turn over to your other side in bed or on a couch it can make you feel really sick so how can you even think of going to work or um, having social activities people's lives do get curbed Um, um, they turn down you know events Um, they're not able to do things with their kids they have to miss work and it is frustrating for them because they usually try many things, they see their doctors, um, they get medications, and still they have this debilitating condition. And so uh, a lot of times they feel that their coworkers, their family might not understand. And it's not like a migraine is always predictable. It can be a little bit predictable in women um, because there's a close hormonal connection, but really um, it can strike at any time, and so um, they feel misunderstood and frustrated and angry, and there's, you know, can, can, they can feel depressed, and sad, and, and um, withdrawn, so there are a lot of emotional, um, you know, their mood changes there be a lot of emotional components besides the pain mm-hmm. just to have having to live with a disability that's basically invisible you know if you have you know you broke your foot somebody could see it but when you have a migraine I mean somebody who knows you would be able to see it because they can see usually you, your face turns pale or you might turn shades of gray or green and um, maybe your eyelids you know can't really stay open that well you know there, there are things that people who know you might be able to tell but in general it's not like you have a wound that people can see it's on the inside and so mm-hmm. a lot of times they do feel misunderstood I think also, and you know, you would know more about this than I do, but I have heard that because a lot of migraine sufferers are women, that a lot of times their pain historically has been discounted um, Mm -hmm. because the medical world in general has um, discounted women's pain. And especially when you're talking about something like a headache, which many people experience at a much lower rate or much lower pain rate. I think a lot of times women have gone to their doctors and said, I'm suffering from headaches and they've, you know, their pain wasn't taken seriously. Mm. Um, So one of the words you use to describe your work is the word somatic. And I was uh, curious what that means. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) somatic comes from the Greek word meaning living body, soma, living body. So it's, really about the whole person. We're not just our physical body, um, we're everything. We're our moods, we're our thoughts, we're our emotions. Um, And 
um, we're, we have a spiritual side too, so we have aspirations. So when you work somatically, it's about working with the whole self. And it also has to do with people's history. So the history that we have shapes us. And so we're, we're looking at that as well. And then also how our interactions go in real life. And, um, and also our sensations. So there's a lot of information that we can get from our bodies, but people, it's conditioned out of us very early on. Like sit up straight, you know, shh, be quiet, don't talk, you know. And so some um, conditioning or what we might call uh, shaping, somatic shaping, is innocently done. You know, like you don't want your kid to be disruptive, right? And so you, you say certain things, and so you're trying to socialize somebody um, into a person that can get along in society. Um, so that shapes us, you know. And, um, and then sometimes it's traumatic. Like people have to hold themselves um, tight or their real emotions or their real thoughts or feelings in because it's not accepted in their families. So we get shaped. So when you work somatically with people, it's about bringing awareness to the body and then reawakening those sensations that, that got cut off. Like we're, we literally get cut off by tightening. And that also affects people's health because if you're even at the cellular level, the biochemical level because and neurochemical level because if we're tight, then all our fluids, our blood, our energy, I mean, we're, the body's mostly energetic, you know, there's a lot of space in there actually in our cells, so, um, but people um, tighten up and that affects everything, it affects our digestion, our elimination, so when you work somatically, um, just by helping people feel into their bodies and feel what it's like to be in touch with um, the ground, and um, feel what happens when they say or speak up and say certain things or when they listen about certain things. Like our body is always giving us messages. Mm -hmm. We talk about that a lot in terms of um, hunger cues that, that we're, when we're born, we know when we're hungry and we eat until we're not hungry and then we stop. And um, that gets socialized out of us that we get taught oh, you're not supposed to eat when you're hungry. For a lot of us, the message we get is you're never supposed to be hungry because, you know, real women don't get hungry. Or, um, you know, you have to keep eating even if you aren't hungry because you need to bulk up or whatever those things are. And that a lot of what we talk about on, you know, when we're talking about um, eating habits is getting back to that place of listening to your body's cues. If your body is saying you're hungry, that's because it needs fuel. And so learning to feel that again and then respect it and, um, you know, honor it uh, is really important in terms of, um, you know, healing your body. And so when, when talking about that in terms of the body as a whole, that makes a lot of sense to me that that, that is true on a larger level for our whole bodies and selves. Right. And I was going to say, too, mm -hmm. for my generation, it's like, um, you know, Eat what's on your plate. You yes. Know, you shouldn't have anything go to waste. Mm -hmm. um, because my parents were coming out of, and my generation's parents were coming out of the Great Depression and then World War II. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was born after that. But there was that awareness of, you know, food is, is precious that mm -hmm. it got on your plate and don't just waste it because somebody else... You know, they used to say, kids, somebody's starving in China. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all these things, like you were saying, they a lot of them aren't done with bad intentions, but, you know, we live with them anyway. <laughs> right. And so then our body just gets used to that. Mm -hmm. And so then coming back in, like you were talking about, and just becoming aware of and asking yourself, oh, am I hungry or mm -hmm. do I need this? Or, you know, what is my body telling me? Um can help shift people into really 
not only awareness of their body, but actually into the present situation, the present day of what is actually in front of them versus something that they were conditioned to feel or think or do um, before they actually knew. Mm -hmm. well, one thing that you talk about at the beginning of the book is that a lot of people who have been suffering with migraines or, or other headaches, um, they have gotten to a place of being, you know, frustrated and um, maybe they've seen a doctor and they've gotten medication, but maybe the medication doesn't help or maybe it sort of helps, but hasn't totally solved the problem. And it's easy to um, get to a place where you feel like there are no options. And you say one of the things that you do when you start working with clients is to help them um, to develop what you call either a beginner's mind or wonder vision. Um, what is so important about coming into a healing process with that sort of mindset? Mm -hmm. It's crucial. So the term beginner's mind was actually coined by Suzuki Roshi, who was a Zen master who brought uh, Zen to the United States. And um, Wonder Vision is something from Gay and Kathleen Hendricks that I learned in their courses. So. It really has to do with um, being present and open to what um, you're, you're actually experiencing. And you could think of it like a puppy or a newborn baby. I mean, they don't know, like you were talking about, they don't know, they just are doing, fulfilling their needs. And their attention is wide open because it hasn't been Curbed. It hasn't been tightened, and so they're really curious. Like every sound, everything they touch, everything that touches them, it, it's they're like sponges and they absorb it all. But they're just always in wonder, and so um, I do work with people um, from the very beginning to to help them notice how their negative thoughts. Um, make their bodies tighter and how their wonder thoughts like when you're wondering about a problem and you're open um, help them to be more relaxed in their bodies and also you can get more answers um, if you're curious it's like being a detective so if you went to a detective agency and the detective said um, well I can't really help you and um, if it were a headache detective, for example, um, I looked at your information and I explored some avenues and I really uh, don't think there's much I can do for you. Well, that isn't somebody that I would want to have help me if I were suffering. Me either. <laughs> um, so who I would want to have is, you know, somebody who was really on the ball and that was really excited about my case and really curious um, and so what I work with people on in the very beginning is to notice and help them notice how when they're open, their bodies are more relaxed and they can get more information and they'll have more ahas and more ideas. Because when somebody's been, usually the people that I work with have been dealing with their pain for a number of years. They've been to um, their family practitioner, they might have gone to um, a dentist, an orthodontist, psychotherapist, um, psychiatrist, a neurologist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, um, uh, ear, nose, and throat person, uh, doctor, um, uh, naturopath, any number of practitioners. And so they are discouraged and they feel that there are really no answers. So it's crucial to make that shift to being open and then getting that enthusiasm. It's like getting that wind mm -hmm. <laughs> beneath your sails so that you can um, really start to explore what it is in, in, in your life that's adding up to your migraines because that's really how I work with it. One thing you, one idea that you describe in the book is this idea of sort of like a, like a takeout menu of triggers. 
um, and that uh, for most people it's not one thing that is causing their headaches. It's um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, maybe these things when they happen at the same time, um, and that a big part of being curious and working towards healing your headaches is figuring out what that menu is for you. Um, and I think a lot of people hear that or have heard that from people and say, oh, well, the answer is an elimination diet. I have to take everything out of my diet and then, you know, uh, add things back in one at a time and figure it out. And you specifically say in your book that you don't really recommend extreme deprivation as part of this process. Can you talk about why? <laughs> well, um, sure. So the, um, you described it really well. I call it the Chinese menu theory. And um, it is a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, that's what I found when I started working with my own really, really bad migraines. Um, when I started deconstructing everything, um, because first it looked like, well, before every, when I was going through perimenopause, um, I would know that I was getting my period each month because I would get a blazing migraine the day before. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like <laughs> my alarm. Um, but when I started doing all that reading that I was talking about, and I read a lot about headaches and a lot about the mind-body connection, I noticed that on the months when I was eating better, sleeping better, under less stress, working out, um, all through the month before, that then I wouldn't get the migraine. Um, so I would just... I would just get my period. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So I started really looking at combinations of factors. And for each person, it's different. So um, that's why I um, have a specially designed um, headache diary that I have people work with. So it's not just about writing down only your foods. It's not just about writing down only when you get a migraine. It's not just about writing down your, only your medications. It's really looking at your day in chronological order and then the next day and the next day and the next day and trying to find patterns. It's like, oh, I woke up with a migraine. What happened the day before? So, um, and some of it is, um, and why it's Chinese menu also, and why I don't work with elimination diet. I'm not a nutritionist, so I do send people to nutritionists and um, encourage people to go to work with their diet, and especially if they have special other conditions that are going on. Com comorbidity is what it's called when you have conditions that also are happening at the same time as your migraine. And by the way, migraine people, migraineurs are more likely to have comorbid conditions than um, the population at large. So um, why, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, well, um, <laughs> oh elimination yeah. diets. Mm -hmm. So why I don't work with that is that I want people to enjoy food. So a lot of times, by the time they come to see me, they're already curbing their diet and they already, quote unquote, know what foods, and sometimes they do, but sometimes it's not just your foods. It's a combination of your food and stress you had and the tightness that you have in your neck and shoulders and head and face, which really is not covered at all in a medical migraine treatment. Um, that tightness and tension, or if it is, maybe people are given a muscle relaxant or um, shots and you can totally learn to work with this on your own with self-care but anyway back to elimination diet so I want people to stop thinking of how deprived they are and how different they are because they have migraine and they you know they can't live a normal life and all that I want to kind of reverse that and help people really be able to enjoy their foods so when you work with an elimination diet you're basically cutting everything out but I like people to really see what it is for them. And so there are headache triggers lists. And, and especially with migraine, food is really, 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 really important. And there are some foods that seem to be universally problematic, or foods and beverages, let's say. So, um, for instance, alcohol, alcoholic beverages. Not only sometimes even alcohol in soy sauces or alcohol in foods can be a problem. Um, and that's pretty universal, but then even that is not universal. So sometimes if you've had a, a full day of, of eating protein and you want to have a little something to, uh, a beverage at night, um, that might work. But then for some people, red wine is more problematic than white wine. 
um, um, alcohol, um, what do you call it, liquor with, um, uh, that is, has a color to it, so is, is maybe more problematic than something that's clear because there's certain chemicals that go into that process. Um, so vodka might not be, or tequila might not be as problematic for some people, but really it's, it's a crapshoot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there are certain things, and then caffeine can be really problematic too. And so that's tricky because one way that caffeine um, can help is it constricts the blood vessels in your head. And so it can help stop a migraine. But then if you have caffeine on a regular basis and then you don't have it, then that can start a migraine. It can trigger a migraine. And then also when people are taking um, over-the-counter medications, OTC, um, pain preparations like um, Excedrin migraine, for example, or even Excedrin, a lot of them, um, uh, those kind of medications have caffeine in them. So if they take them on a regular basis and then they don't, um, they skip or they decide to taper off or they decide to quit cold turkey, then they can get a very strong rebound headache. So I know I've gone, <laughs> but anyway, that can all factor into your Chinese menu. Mm -hmm. And um, there's so many things, but really it's about looking at everything in your life. Mm -hmm. So I kind of covered a few topics there. No, that was great. <laughs> I, I th what, what you said I think is so important, which is that um, it would be easy to sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater if you are trying to figure out your triggers through an elimination diet. Because like you were saying, there's so much nuance about, you know, this thing on in this situation is a trigger, but this similar thing in a different situation is totally fine. And um, it would be easy to get yourself into a place where you feel like, I can't eat or drink anything, uh, and even then my headaches aren't getting better. Um, that seems to me like a one-way ticket to depression. Right. <laughs> um, because you feel like you can't do, you can't be a normal person. You can't live a normal life. Um, and so I really liked um, that in the book you said, like, there are other ways to figure these things out without making yourself miserable. <laughs> right. Careful observation. Mm -hmm. And it's really about everything. It's mm -hmm. looking at everything. I mean, there's so many triggers, you know, from... Um, but it's different for everybody, and it's different on different days, and there are all these nuances. Mm -hmm. One thing that you said about caffeine in the book that I thought was so such a good way of putting it was the right amount of caffeine is the amount where if you don't have it one day, you don't suffer. Right. Um, I thought that that was just a brilliant way to say it because so many of us, even those of us who don't suffer from migraines, are trying to figure out you know, should I be cutting back on caffeine? Is the amount I'm having okay? You know, what, you know, we get a lot of different messages about uh, caffeine intake. But I think just to say, like, the correct amount for you is not going to be the correct amount for somebody else. And the idea is, if you, if you can go, if you can go a day without it, then you're fine. Right. You know. And then that, ha that also happens that um, uh, rebound or, um, now it's called medication overuse headache, and mm. caffeine actually is a, a drug. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's listed as a drug. Um, that um, that can also happen on the weekends for people. Mm. So um, if they're um, sleeping in later on Saturday or Sunday, um, and they're not having the caffeine, um, say their morning espresso at 6 or 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning, but maybe they're having brunch or little later or maybe they do skip it then that can be um you know sign that well if they you know that's also a way of almost skipping it mm -hmm. and that that can also happen with meals too well um, if you're not having mm -hmm. you know healthy food in the morning like you're used to sure well let's talk a little bit more about food and um and headache um you talked in the book about the connection between sugar and headaches um what what is that connection or what does that look like when someone's looking at their sugar intake and their headaches right so um one of the things that inspired me to work with the particular diet that i work with is a little red book um, by an author um, um, named rodolfo Lowe, l-o-w and he was a biochemist and ford foundation scholar um, 
who used to have migraines when he was a kid. And he did his own detective work and as an adult realized that the reason that he was getting them was that um, he used to go to the movies with his friends and get this horrible migraine afterward because they'd load up on candy at the movies. <laughs> and so he put together this theory that he started testing and then did clinical research on it and then wrote this book called Victory Over Migraine. And he found that, um, uh, he said that migraine is only due to low blood sugar or borderline low blood sugar. And so when people hear that back in the day, um, his colleagues used to think, oh, well, if it's low blood sugar, then we should have more sugar. So it'll <laughs> raise right. But actually what happens is your pancreas, um, which metabolizes your sugar, um, does a quick rise and drop when you eat sugar. And then that kicks your um, adrenal glands into wanting to produce more adrenaline to give you more energy because you had this energy and now you don't. And then that starts this chain of uh, reaction and um, a chemical reaction affects the neurohormones in your head and prostaglandins and other hormones are released and then affect the blood vessels and other uh, uh, neurochemicals in your head and throw you over into a migraine. And so um, the science has advanced um, since then and actually um, neurologists and um, um, researchers don't know the exact cause of migraine, but they're getting a lot closer. But various theories have um, been um, proven and disproven um, over the la past century, I'd say. And um, I use Dr. Lowe's diet because it works. And I found that it's changed more people's lives um, than just about anything else that they that we work with um, in looking at their headaches or migraines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since it's not filling your body with more sugar, is the idea to avoid, especially like processed sugars and things like that? Or is it more nuanced? <laughs> well, it's always more nuanced. Of course. <laughs> of course. But, um, you know, Dr. Lowe, his contention was that you should cut out all sugar. And all simple sugars. So, you know, cut out white rice and white flour and um, white potatoes. So anything that's carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a little more relaxed in that because I don't want people to feel deprived. I mean, a lot of people do, do um, gluten-free diets. Um, and if that works for them, that's fine. But um, the thing is, if you do eat um, whole grains and you do have some complex carbs with your food, um, it, first of all, it makes the digestion go more slowly, and so um, you don't have as many rises and dips in your blood sugar levels. And, um, you know, some people just, it, it creates more energy, it, it helps your protein digest more slowly. And so um, I, uh, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel that people need to do what feels right for them, not just based on a philosophy or a theory, but just see what feels good. Mm -hmm. And um, so did I answer your question? Well, it sounds like um, it, it does look a lot like what a lot of people in other areas of uh, nutrition are encouraging us to do, which is to have less processed food, to have fewer fewer simple sugars, if not cutting them out entirely, but instead to make the carbohydrates in our diet be the whole grain, you know, um, so that we're getting other nutritious elements in there too. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, how you feel. Like sometimes I like a, a French baguette or sure, a sourdough baguette <laughs> with butter, you know, and so that just will feel good, you know, mm -hmm. with a uh, with soft boiled egg in the morning, and so. Um, you know, I encourage people to just see what feels right for them. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe some sourdough bread with, you know, like some wheat or rye in it. And um, So it's really a matter of experimenting. But one of the things that I've found, that, and that it is in Dr. Lowe's diet, that is one of those things that really makes a big difference. Well, actually, there are two things. Um, I call it early protein. 
So to eat protein early, especially if you're somebody that's waking up with migraines, um, you don't want to um, rush off to your workout or to work and not eat something. Like it's really important just to have a little something, something and to have incorporate protein. So if it's Greek yogurt or a little bit of cheese or some hummus, um, some a little bit of leftover dinner, something with protein. And to so that's the, the first thing is eat early protein. Don't wait until um, you're at work and then get settled in and then have your um, have a sweet yogurt at like 10 o'clock. You know, because then there's all this time that from dinner to then, so it's about 12 hours or more, 12 to 15 hours that you didn't eat, that then um, your blood sugar is low. And so that's, you want to have that be much more even if you have migraines. So early protein, and then you want to eat often. So six small meals a day or three meals and three snacks and then try and incorporate protein into each. Yeah, one thing Daphne has talked about before, people are always asking us about full fat dairy versus low fat dairy because when I was growing up it was all skim milk like mm. that was the healthy choice and Daphne has been on a, a campaign to get everyone back to full fat dairy because she said even if the amount of sugar you're digesting is the same having it with um, the fat and having it you know with the protein helps your body digest it in a way that doesn't do that sort of spike and crash spike and crash of your blood sugar and it sounds like that um, is Part of what um, the, the two things you just um, mentioned are also about is putting your body in a place where you're not um, going sort of spike, crash, spike, crash, but instead are staying more on an even keel um, because those, those wide, uh, those peaks and valleys are part of what might um, set you off. Right. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and with um, full fat dairy and fats in general, healthy fats, um, like olive oil, which is part of the Mediterranean diet, which is basically the diet that I work with. Um, and um, uh, so full-fat dairy products. Uh, fat uh, takes about seven hours to digest. And um, protein is less, and then sugar much, much less. So it extends uh, your digestion, which then um, keeps your blood sugar at a more even keel. Um what about um, with exercise? Um, I think exercise is like caffeine in that um, people say, oh, you should exercise. It helps keep you from getting migraines. But also, I know some people who, for whom exercise is, can be part of their menu of triggers. So how do you, how do you figure out what to do about exercise? <laughs> right. Well, when people have not been feeling well for a while and they're just trying to get the normal part of their lives together, you know, get things done that they have to do to be able to earn a living and keep their kids together and have their meals. Um, a lot of times exercise, like with anybody even who is, in, is, is not suffering from migraines, the exercise kind of might be the last thing on the list. Usually it is. And so... Um, but when you haven't been feeling well, um, it's, it's hard to even think about it. So what I, but, but it's a mixed bag because if you're not exercising, then it can cause you to have less energy and it affects your mood, which is what I was going to also say about meals. It wasn't something that you said, mm. but it, I'll just tie this in, is that it affects your mood. So skipping meals or skipping exercise can affect your mood. And so when we exercise, it creates feel-good hormones, you know, it raises our endorphin levels. And so people feel happier, they feel better. Um, but then sometimes when people start to feel better, then they go all out. And they're like, oh, I took a four-hour hike today. And, the, you know, and then they might not have a snack with them or have enough water. Or maybe they didn't um, protect themselves enough from the sun with sunglasses or a hat. And so then they get too much or they do too much. 
um, because they're like, oh, I'm feeling so much better. Yay, I'm back to normal. And then they'll backslide. So it's like one step forward, two steps back. So it's important to pace yourself, like with anything. So, um, you know, if you haven't been exercising for a while, it's important to just do a little bit and not push it to your edge and then see how you feel. That gets back to somatics and noticing your sensations and notice what might feel tight or what might feel enlivened. Um, noticing your mood, noticing what happens the next day, if you tighten up or if you feel more limber. It's also important to um, give some nice easy stretches, um, get, do that before and after you work out. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I always say, well, just walk to the corner <laughs> or depending on where you live, if you live in the country, but just walk, you know, around the block and see how you feel. And if, even if walking around the block, that could be too much for somebody. So just walk to the corner and then, um, turn the corner and then walk there and wherever you go, whatever kind of, um, exercise that you do, um, say it's a walk. Always remember that you're halfway, you know, where however far you get you still have to get home right <laughs> unless you drove there but um mm-hmm. still have to get back to the car right right so um you want to pace yourself and um but also find something that you like to do so if you like to walk in nature or if you do like to work out at the gym or you have a dance class that you like so you don't have to put yourself in a box as far as oh i have to go to the gym you know you don't like the gym then don't do that maybe there's a dance class you like or maybe there's a friend who walks or even runs at the same pace as you that you want to you know that will help you get to your workout and actually do it and that will also help pass the time Mm -hmm. I think it's so important especially for people in you know my age group I think it can be easy to think that the only exercise worth doing is super intense and at a gym. And it's, it's so not true. Moving your body is valuable, whether it's, you know, walking to the drugstore or, you know, you know, taking a dance class, like you said, or whether it is something really intense that looks like more like what we think about when we think about like a gym workout that, um, it doesn't have to be sort of all or nothing that finding, um, some way of moving your body that gives you pleasure is more valuable than whether or not you can check off the box of like, I did a quote unquote workout. Um, I love that you brought in the word pleasure. That's so, that's fabulous. That's Mm -hmm. really what it's all about. It should make you feel good and not like it's torture. Mm -hmm. And, and with people who had migraines, um, you know, that's even beyond their thought. It's just like sometimes even just thinking about working out can make them feel sick. Right. So, you know, it's just really enjoying, really enjoying your body Mm -hmm. and finding pleasure in it. And also, you know, now there's so many classes that are more available that we didn't used to have. So there's, there are different forms of yoga and there's Tai Chi and there's Qigong and you know, things are available at at gyms or in the mall or in the park or sponsored by the city. Swimming, you know, there's so many things that pe- people can do that, and just even simple stretching classes. But even if it's not a class, something that you can do on your own. Like the class might help motivate you because you have to go there. Also, um, something that I've discovered recently, wonderful classes in a... Um, um, an exercise mode called moving for life. So mm. that's a somatic uh, modality that's gentle movement. So things that just help you move and appreciate your body and appreciate gravity. And, you know, there are just many, many different forms now. So it's worth discovering. And not only that, it's not only about the form, but it can also be about the teacher. Mm-hmm. So you might really like a certain kind of movement or certain discipline or certain martial art even but maybe you get discouraged because the teacher wasn't right for you so it's not only finding the right kind of movement but also finding the right teacher so I always encourage people to not give up you know and to just keep searching for the one that's just right for them and that makes them feel good yeah Um, One of the um, big parts of the book is talking about ways that um, self-massage 
and uh, your Mundo method can be used as part of healing headaches. And since this is um, audio and uh, no one's going to be able to see things, um, and also since they can buy and read the book and get the in-depth uh, explanation, uh, you know, I'm not going to, to ask you to, to read me two chapters of a book, but I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about what role um, self-massage and your method have in, in healing headaches. Huge. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, you know, it's really interesting that headaches and migraines are such a full body phenomenon. And yet the body is really left out of treatment. And there are a number of reasons for that. First of all, when you have a migraine, you're so sensitive. And also sometimes you can't get to a practitioner because you don't feel well enough to do it. Sure. And then also if you get to a practitioner, they might not understand or realize or be subtle enough to appreciate how the slightest touch or the slightest movement can make you feel worse. So um, a large part of what I do with people is not only I work on them to help them become more present to their bodies and um, help soften places that are tight. Um, I help them learn how to work on themselves because a lot of times, I mean, we just don't realize how much tension we carry around in our shoulders, our neck, head, and face. And that, a lot of times people say, oh, well, the tension in my body or my stress didn't cause my migraine. And I don't agree with that. I really feel that it's really a, a contributing factor, only that people are so numb to their bodies or they go, oh, my shoulders are so, so tight, but they don't really see the connection because if their shoulders are always tight, that goes back to the Chinese menu theory, right? Their shoulders might always be tight. And so they're like, well, my shoulders are tight anyway, so how come I got the migraine? So it must not be tied in. It must not be my trigger. But it, it all adds up. And so, um, you know, um, it's teaching people how to work on themselves and it's also teaching people how to sit and stand because um, so much of the time how we sit and stand is making us create that tightness in our bodies and we don't realize that too so if you're carrying your head forward and who doesn't really right <laughs> because for one we're thinking all the time so we're leading with our heads um, we might be carrying a backpack, so in order to not get pulled backwards by a heavy backpack, our head comes forward to balance that weight. Um, we're leaning into the computer screen. We're leaning in to, to see, you know, traffic. Um, so a lot of times we're just holding our heads forward. And so, um, and then if we're not doing that, even if we're leaning back in a chair or in the driver's seat, then we have to pull our heads forward to actually see what we're doing. Or if we're texting, our head is, you know, a lot of times people, their head is bent down. Like just looking on the subway, you have exposure to a lot of people or even walking, right? Mm -hmm. People are texting, they're looking at their phones all the time with their heads bent. And so then their, their head's down and so their necks are bent. So all that kind of posture creates... Um, it's like carrying a bowling ball out in front of yourself. So if you're not in alignment, then that means it's like doing a biceps curl. So that means that your shoulders and all the muscles in your shoulders and your neck, and I can feel mine right now, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that they are working overtime and you're actually building them up. And they're tight, but you're building them up out of alignment. So um, before even working on yourself, it's really important to line up. And this you can do without even you seeing it, but just to give people these cues of you, if you touch the side of your ear, and then, well, your ear, your, touch your ear, and then uh, the side of your shoulder, and then your hips. You want those to be in a, and then just draw a line between them. You want those to be in a straight vertical line 
versus the di on the diagonal. And so when you do that and you bring your head um, really over your shoulders and your ears in alignment with your shoulders, that's like beginning a massage on yourself because you're already um, helping yourself settle into gravity. And then also starting with your feet that you feel your the weight of your feet on the floor. Um, giving your feet hip distance apart and your knees um, in line with your feet and then your all that in line with your hips. Um, it can help your weight drop down into gravity so that you're not holding yourself up and yet you're not collapsing to gravity. And so right there, um, if you don't align yourself to begin with and you start working on yourself, on your shoulders and your neck, and you're out of alignment, um, then you're, first of all, giving yourself much more work. Um, and you're not actually correcting the problem. So if you're first in alignment and then you learn to soften, so I have a whole um, menu of techniques to actually work on yourself layer by layer and the right posture and the right hand and arm positions to do it. And then after people get those skills, um, then I teach them how to work on their own headache or migraine to stop it. And that's different than working on your muscles. Uh, it seems like it would have to be since the person doing it has a headache at the time. <laughs> you, you know, it has to be um, more gentle and more specific. And you, you go into this, I think, in, uh, you do a really great job of explaining it in the book. Um, Thank you. But it also, you know, feels a little bit like magic to, to someone who's reading about it from the outside and hasn't done it or experienced it. The, the idea that doing something physical to your head could, could help you feel better. Did, did it feel like magic when you discovered it? <laughs> well, you know, like I said, I was doing it for a long time before I really realized what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then when I decided that I was going to do this for a living, I broke down my method into steps. And I realized that I'd been working with the same cycle of sensations each time on the head. So that you could, it's like working straight through the brain. It's not a muscular technique. It's um, really um, a very light touch, light pressure, and focused concentration technique. And so um, the, the, the cycle is that headaches have a, a pulsation um, or sensations. It's really working with your own pain or with somebody else's pain and that you can feel the sensations of the pain on the head and you can get really specific. Like when you have a headache or migraine especially, it can, well, both, with both kinds, it can feel like, oh, the headache's in my whole head. But when you break it down, um, you can actually feel much more specific points of pain. So much so that it's like a, almost like a pinpoint. Um, like not even your whole finger but actually a point on your finger that you match up to a point on your head. Mm -hmm. And then you still it and you focus on it mentally and then um, it begins to shift from the front of your head where you feel those pulsations in the front or that pain in the front um, to the back of the head. And um, you can feel the release which has different sensations than the headache sensations and then when the sensations of the release start to subside, um, then the headache might be um, over. Although, um, you might have to work on several um, multiple pulsing points in the front to um, release the headache completely or the migraine completely. So it just depends on each person, on, on each headache and where it is. And, how strong it is and, and all that. But it's really fascinating to um, be able to do that. And mm -hmm. when you work on yourself, it, it is different because you are working on yourself when you're in pain. So you almost have to, well not almost, you do have to split your attention because you're the person with the pain and then you're also the practitioner. Mm -hmm. So, um, but at the same time, that gives you more information because you know exactly where your pain is or you can find it. 
Um, it's like scratching an itch, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, right there. So you can tell on the inside when you've gotten the right place. And then you can tell on the outside by the sensations that you feel. So it's a really interesting um, inner outer um, kind of conversation that you're having with your body and yourself when mm -hmm. you're working on your own pain. And it does require a certain commitment and a certain fortitude because you are not feeling well. But um, when you're able to stop your own migraine, um, all the other symptoms that you're feeling reverse. So if you're feeling um, just super sensitive to smells and sounds and touch and nauseous and vomiting, all those symptoms reverse. So um, it's a, a lifelong desire of mine <laughs> um, um, to really get this studied mm -hmm. to the extent that um, if your touch and your focus concentration can reverse pain in the moment, um, and when I say in the moment, it could take from five, ten minutes to for severe migraine, an hour, even two hours, but then everything's reversed and it's like you begin to um, settle back into, oh, I can, you know, have a little bite to eat, or if you couldn't sleep for days, you can fall asleep, or if you had no energy, you start to have your energy, and it might be a little slow coming out of it, but there is a reversal of symptoms, and so I would love um, to see how that actually is happening in the brain. Like, how is a touch and your focus concentration able to do what a medication can do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's powerful. It is. Um, I think it's so great too that you have the the self massage, which is sort of more of a overall self care. You know, as as part of your self care practice is to work on these, these tight muscles, you know, sort of over the course of your regular week. And then also the, the method for when you're actually in the, the heat of the headache itself. It's sort of like the two parts of the same, uh, coin, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, it's almost time for us to wrap up, but I wanted to ask if you have some words of encouragement for people who are in the, in the place of, you know, having suffered and, being frustrated and, and stressed out and, and exhausted. Um, do you have some words of encouragement for people who are starting their headache healing journey? Mm. Well, don't give up. There's hope. <laughs> and that your body and your mind, your spirit, your emotions are a huge resource. So working with yourself. And um, I hope that people will work with the book and really be patient and work with it step by step. Um, so that they can sort out for themselves what their particular Chinese menu is and then learn practices for changing um, things that that will help them. So, you know, meditation and breathing and where they can be more calm and using their, um, being able to be centered in gravity and all those things can actually provide hope because They'll help calm you. They'll help um, give you a little relief. And then, so one thing leads to another. So it's really being patient with yourself. And um, that I've helped so many people that thought that, you know, they'd tried everything. So really when you put it all together, not just eliminate one thing and think, well, that didn't work, I'll put it I'll put it back, but really looking at everything seriously and seeing how you feel. So there is hope and you can do it. <laughs> you can do it, everybody. Um, if people want to find your book and more about you and working with you, where can they look for you? They can go to www.theheadachecoach.com. Great. And I will link to that. I'll also have a link to the book, which I believe by the time this episode comes out, you'll be able to find. So if you want to work through, um, you know, read more about uh, Jan's work and also work through um, healing your headache yourself, the book is a great guide for doing that on your own. Um, so I'll have all those links in the show notes. 
Um, Jen Mundo, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes, help subscribing, and to become a patron, you can go to our website, Just one more podcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at just one more pod on Facebook at facebook.com slash just one more podcast, or you can email us at info at just one more podcast.com. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.